Mad Unreal. This is Arthur. That is Isaac, who has finally, I am happy to announce, completed the Star Wars Rebels series. Yes. Yes. Who's your favorite uh, character from Rebels? Um, I think Kanan. Kanan. Yeah. Spoilers yeah. for anybody who hasn't yours. seen Rebels, so we about to mention that really quickly, but... Kanan, yeah, he, um, I didn't really like Kanan at first mm-hmm. too much. He seemed kind of, kind of corny to me. Um, but man, I hate to say it, once he got blinded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just all, and grew a beard. everything changed. Uh-huh. <laughs> that yeah. became my dude. And once he started hanging out with Ben, with Ben dude, that became my dude. I was like, yeah. I really like Kanan. And then, you know, the way that he sacrificed himself and everything, I was just like, I mean, I, I've, I really felt it, you know, in those last few episodes um, when he made that sacrifice, I, I felt it. And um, yeah, that was my guy. But you know what? Who's my favorite character, man? I have to say I loved him in the uh, prequels trilogy. I loved him in Clone Wars. But Darth Maul in Rebels is my dude. <laughs> yeah. Darth Maul is... He really, Sam Whitworth, who voices him, really found his, I mean, he was great in Clone Wars, um, really great, but he, he found a next, next level in Rebels and he just, every, he just eats up screen time every time he's on the screen. He's just like, he's not only as sinister and kind of, um, what's the term, uh, he slithers kind of like, you know, he's just, he's just very, he's, he's a little creepy, but he's, um, you know, very intelligent, you know, you can feel his, he's, he's working behind the scenes. He's got things Mm -hmm. going on. He's ahead of everybody else. Um, he's always got an angle, but he's also manipulative, very manipulative, but he's also very witty. Um, I loved, loved, loved his final episode. Um, when he, the moment he says goodbye to, uh, Ezra and he (laughs) says, Mm -hmm. see you soon, apprentice. Yeah, you know, I, I fell off the couch. I just that, that was like so Darth Maul, you know, what I'm saying it's so funny and so perfect that um, and then, of course, what happens next, you know, is, is a is a perfect end for him. Um, his last his last line, I think, is like one of the greatest. It, it, it's very hard to for, I guess, from a writing standpoint to take a character and have them sum up pretty much their entire, you know, narrative arc in one sentence or one piece of dialogue mm-hmm. in his last statement even though these are spoilers, I won't, you know, I won't say the last statement, but his last statement to, um, to Obi-Wan, um, if you haven't seen, I mean, again, these are spoilers, but if you haven't seen it in a while, just go back and watch it again. Cause his last line to Obi-Wan, I thought was just perfect. You know, it was just like, Oh, that's the tragedy of Darth Maul right there. Um, so yeah, I was, I was, I was loving him, but rebels. Yeah, it was, it was great, man. You know, the rumor is that they're going to do another animated series, um, this fall. You know that they're going to announce it probably a Star Wars celebration, and it may be you know uh, Sabine and um, uh, Ahsoka, you know, out there looking for Ezra post uh, original trilogy. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm hoping that the, I'm, I'm hoping that's what it is. Yeah, I they did a really good job on that series of um, hooking into the Clone Wars, and um, I'm thinking about like. The, the Jedi temples mm-hmm. and um, it's the kind of show where, and, you know, and Mandalorian does this too. It's, it's the kind of show where 
you can you can watch it as a standalone without nece- without needing to know right. some of the other nuances in backstory. Right. Um, but when you if you come into it knowing those nuances, or if you discover those nuances, you know, it then it just it. provides. Yeah, it's an enrichment. It provides a much richer, richer experience. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking of that, the connection to the Clone Wars. Obviously, I was you know, I loved the fact that Rex came back. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. along with a couple of the other clones, but of course, mainly Rex. And I wondered, you know, we do know that, you know, it was confirmed a few years ago that that was Rex in um, uh, Return of the Jedi, Return you Jedi. know, on Endor. Yeah. So I wonder at what point, or was there a point, excuse me, where Rex finds out that Vader is Anakin, you know? Obviously, obviously, Ahsoka finds out at some point or accepts it. You know, she has yeah. feelings and she accepts it. Um, maybe this next animated series will deal with that if Rex is still, you know, a lot or obviously mm-hmm. he's alive. But if he's involved at all, because I mean, his relationship, as we're finding out and we're going to get into this in a minute. But as we're finding out in this season seven of Clone Wars, we've always known how close him and Anakin are, have, you know, were this season seven. This first arc showed, you know, even that they were closer than even we thought, you know, um, their, you know, their relationship, um, their friendship. So it had to be a devastating blow or, or I should say, cause I don't know if he ever finds out, but I would want to see, you know, Rex confront Vader the same way, you know, we saw Soka confront Vader. I want Rex mm-hmm. to look at him and be like, you know, and, you know, general, you know, is that you, you know, general from mm-hmm. general Skywalker, you know, cause that's his guy. Mm-hmm. That's his mm-hmm. arguably, you know, outside of, um, Obi-Wan, you know, I think Anakin is closest to Rex. You know, that's the other, like, that's his best, that's his dude. You know, that's his, that's his best friend outside of Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would have liked, I like to see that, but I won't get too much in that because I, like I say, we're about to get into it in a minute. And speaking of that, why don't you uh, kick this off? We got a lot to get to today, man. It's going to be a great show. This is Mad Unreal, episode 13. Let's go. Oh no, it's 12, isn't it? <laughs> is it 12? It is 12. Yeah. Do that again. This is Mad Unreal, episode 12. Let's go! Yeah, I'm all caught up. Um, Clone Wars, final season. So before we get into details of it, tell me, overall, have you, these three episodes, this arc, how are you feeling just generally, you know, in compared? Because it's been six years, five years since Clone Wars was on, um, or, or left, you know, the first time, so... How are yeah. you feeling generally about this, you know, the return of the Clone Wars? Um, well, I feel good about it. I think in the last, uh, the, the last episode we recorded where we talked about the Clone Wars, um, I really liked how they started off focusing on the clones themselves mm. and um, Rex being the catalyst for this mission where they where they search for Echo, mm-hmm. um, a clone who was that we had last seen at the Citadel in, I guess the, I guess season six. I think that was like season three. That was early. I think it was early in the series. I think it was season three. I'm not sure. But it was I that it was early. Three. Yeah, I, I believe it was season three. Um, it was early. We haven't seen Echo in a long time. With Rex trying to trying to trying to figure out how the uh, the clone army seems to know the Republic strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he comes to a conclusion that Echo, you know, is still alive. The mm-hmm. reason being that it was he 
Rex, he and Echo, that were drawing up these plans. Mm-hmm. It's their playbook. Yeah. And um, Anakin, who at first, uh, you know, was kind of talk, trying to talk him off the cliff to say, you know, you got to kind of prepare yourself that he's that, 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 you know, this isn't Rex and um, excuse me, that this is an Echo and, you know, he could actually be dead. Um, mm-hmm. He does back Rex up. They get a force together of commandos. Experimental Unit Clone Force 99, mm-hmm. uh, named after Clone 99, who was uh, who was on Camino and ha- was um, integral in in saving several clones and um, Jedi uh, from attack. I don't remember what episode that was either. That was a great episode. Though. I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, it just mm-hmm. reminds me of events that have happened right. that I feel like I need to just go back find that episode or that story arc watch that and then you basically rewatch the current episode mm-hmm. to kind of get right in the mix of what's happening well i think that that's kind of like an echo though i think it plays into the you know the whole echo uh kind of the metaphor that you see through these three episodes and not just this dude's name but this is an echo from the past you know mm-hmm. uh rex is dealing with you know, yeah, it was a long time ago back in, you know, for us, it was back in season three, I believe. It's a long time ago um, when he lost Echo. And, you know, so now you're hearing this kind of an echo from the past that's causing these problems in the present. Um, and so I think that metaphor rings true. And yeah, for us who haven't, you know, it's been six years, I think, since these right. those seasons, uh, since right. the original Clone Wars ended its first its run. It's yeah, it's kind of like an echo of these old episodes that we kind of remember we you know we we have vague memories of oh yeah that dude did this and that happened and it's more so the feelings that we remember than with the actual events um but i think that's cool i haven't i've you know i think prior to the um premiere of this season i did go back and watch a little bit of clone wars mm-hmm. uh, but i haven't you know i haven't done like a deep dive because i know like starwars.com it put up hey here's the chronological order to watch it we're watching x amount of episodes per week join yeah. us you know so you can watch it with that community and then so and that went on for months i think that started last fall so i you know I didn't do that, but I still, I, I you know, I kind of looked back, some, look back at some episodes, but I'm like you, that my memory of some of these things is a little, little vague, but I think yeah. that's cool. I think it's cool because I, I didn't, it's almost like you're, you know, Hunter at one point says, um, I think it was in episode two of this season, he's lost count of how many, you know, battles they've been in or missions they've been on because it all mm-hmm. starts to kind of like blend together. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, that's, the fact of us having to remember exactly what happened with Echo or any of these other troopers, that rings true to me because it's like, yeah, there's been so much fighting and so many different missions we've seen these troopers go on for us as well as for them. It kind of blends together, you know, so and that's I think that's cool. I think that's part of the story. So listen, there's some themes I wanted to get into with you um, and ask you kind of how you were feeling about some of these things, because there's, you know, some major threads that run through this first arc that were really interesting to me. So just diving right into this bad batch arc, the first three episodes of season seven of the clone wars, star Wars, the clone wars. Um, and obviously you guys major spoilers ahead. So if you haven't watched any of these pause, go watch the first three episodes of star Wars, clone wars, come back. Or if you don't mind spoilers, keep listening and then we will enrich your experience, your experience. Once you do watch these episodes, so, um, Artur- Arturius Maximus, um, the theme to me, 
and I wanted to see if you agree or disagree with this, but for me, the strong theme for these three episodes um, that binds all this together was this theme of individuality. And as I was watching the, this arc, what struck me is that, you know, the very first episode, the very first broadcast episode, not chronologically, mm-hmm. but the very first broadcast episode of Clone Wars way back in, I don't know what that was, 2012 or 2000, whenever that was, was season one, episode one was called Ambush. And it was basically, you know, Yoda um, in a very precarious situation on this planet with only three clones with them, three clone troopers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like going up against a whole battalion of separatists, um, droids and Ventress, um, Asajj Ventress. So in the midst of all this, there's this very touching scene where Yoda is, they kind of like, you know, camped out in this cave um, to, you know, to get away from the, uh, uh, the attack. And it's a moment of kind of like reprieve. So Yoda sits down, you know, of course, Yoda sit with me, you know, Yoda's always trying to get people to come sit with him and, you know, chill out for a minute. Mm-hmm. And so he can, you know, drop some wisdom on him. So he says, sit with me. And he tells the troopers, you know, take off your helmets, you know, your faces I want to see. So they all take off their helmets and there's like, they're like, yo, there's nothing much to see because we all were clones. We all look alike. We all share the same face. And Yoda takes that moment to tell them, um, yeah, you know, you all have the same face, but um, um, although you're clones, you know, you're unique, you know, and, and he actually says in the force, very different. Each one of you are. And it was a very kind of touching moment. I think it was it was meaningful or it was it was the first episode for a reason um, in Attack of the Clones. And even in Sith, you know, the clones really didn't get too much individuality. They were just pretty much, you know, clones of Je- uh, what's my man's name? Je- uh, Django Fett. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there was a couple scenes with Cody, you know, talking to Obi-Wan and whatever. But you really never got a sense of, the, of any kind of individuality amongst these clones. They were just troopers and they all looked alike. They all did the mm-hmm. same thing. Mm-hmm. So it was, I think it was telling that. Uh, Lucas and Filoni um, decided, hey, the first broadcast episode of this Clone Wars series is going to be this one that really kind of like, you know, the heart of this episode is the fact that these clones are individuals. Um, they matter. Um, they're right. not just, you know, they're not they're not like the the, the uh, separatist droids. They actually have uh, meaning within the force. So I was thinking about that as you look at these first three episodes of season seven individuality seems to be the the theme here. And you mentioned it a minute ago when you said, when you talked about how, you know, Rex and Echo's playbook has been basically somehow stolen by the separatist army. And that's, you know, what tips Rex off, like Echo must still be alive. Mm-hmm. So it was Rex's, and even that has a very individual theme. It's not just, you know, the separatists, you know, know what the clones are going to do. No, it's this specific clone, Rex. You know, we know we, we've copied his or we've watched him in battle. And somehow we realize that we could figure out what he's going to do. That could be key in, you know, winning, you know, these victories, these battles. Mm-hmm. So I want to see what do you what do you think about the idea of individuality within these first, you know, three episodes? Am I am I right about that or am I completely off about that? No, I don't think you're completely off. Um, it struck me. You know, we've got seven seasons and I thought, well, wait a minute. How long is the Clone Wars? Like, how long has this been? You Mm -hmm. know, and really, it turns out that the Clone Wars were only three years. Right. 
Um, so all of this stuff is happening, you know, over a very compact amount of time. And mm. that led me to thinking about how the clones themselves were designed to age quickly mm-hmm. so that could, they could be, you know, a ready, um, you know, fighting force. Um, and so saying that to say, you know, the clones weren't, they weren't designed to be individual in that way. They mm-hmm. were designed to be, you know, monolithic. Mm-hmm. And what I like about several episodes of the the series overall is the focus on individuality, who I am, what am I doing, why am I doing this? And that's something that the Republic is not struggling to deal with, but you know, they're having to deal with these things, these situations from the clones from time to time. Mm-hmm. I mean, which they didn't, probably a, didn't expect that, which they didn't expect that. And, right. you know, when you execute a plan, you then find out the unintended consequences, both positive or negative. You actually see how this thing plays out because it's now being road tested. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the Bad Batch accentuates that each one of the members, all four members, um, with Tech, Heavy, uh, not not Tech, uh, uh, um, Wrecker, Hunter, and um, Crosshair, Mm -hmm. um, they they have qualities, they, you know, I think you, you pointed this out, you know, they even look different. And it's not just necessarily the length of the hair, you know, they, they, they they, they have these, yeah, they mm-hmm. have these unique qualities about them that actually make them individuals, which is very rare in the concept of the clones. Mm-hmm. And putting it in a very modern context, uh, in, in, a, in a real context, during this um, election season in the U.S., there's the emphasis on the Latino vote, the emphasis on the black vote, the emphasis on the women vote, the emphasis on, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. White male vote. It, it's, it's, it's looking at constituencies in a very monolithic way and making calculations based on what they will do as a group. Mm-hmm. Um, at the conclusion of episode three, there's a shot of, of Echo. Oh, I think it I know you about to. I think I know what you about to say. You about to lift the final shot, the final shot. Yeah, 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 yeah. I definitely want to spend this kind of that. This, 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 yeah, it, it, it made me think that Echo wasn't, you know, like all the way back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I have a slightly different take on that. So I think, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in hearing more about that because I, I get what you're saying. He looks. Uh, to me, he looked like he didn't. It wasn't that he wasn't all the way back. He didn't know if he wanted to come back. You know what I'm saying? It's like for half yeah. a second, he was like, do I? Because Rex says to him, just like, you know, things will be back to normal, just like they used to be. Um, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what Rex says. And for half a second, you see it on Echo's face. It's like, yeah, things where I was basically having no choice but to do, you know, fight this war. Um, and this war doesn't even seem like it's ever going to end. You know, you said you said that, yeah, the war is only three years, but I will having never been in a war. I think, you know, I'm not trying to speak for people who have been in those, those situations. Right. But I imagine that three years is, is like 50 years or, you know, 100 years, you know, when you're yeah. actually in it. Yeah. Um, so for them, 
it seems, especially like you said, since the clones, you know, they age quicker, they excel, they have the accelerated aging. I'm sure time has a different, you know, feeling for them. Um, but let, let, go back to, you said, you know, you're talking about the bad batch. And I think that that is another hallmark of the individuality, like you said. So you have this, yeah. this, this group of four clones. I think they called them, um, I think Cody said they have desirable mutations. I would like to see more of what, you know, how they got created. Hope maybe we'll get that either later on in this season or maybe in a book or a comic book or something. Um, but yeah, they're called experimental unit clone force 99, which makes me think that someone on Camino was, you know, saying, Hey, what if we can make them, you know, the clones a little bit more individual than they are. Um, mm-hmm. That would have been interesting. So hopefully we'll get more of that. But even in the conflict that you see between, you know, because when when Rex, um, Cody, Kix and Jesse walk up on them, um, by the way, I can't. It's so funny, man. Even after all these years, I can't say or hear the word, the name Jesse, without thinking in my mind. And now Jerome. (laughs) It just just happens automatically in my mind. But anyway, Jesse um, says when they walk up on him, Jesse, I think, is the one who says, you know, you know, those are clones. They don't, they don't even look like clones, you know? Yeah. Um, and then there's this kind of this conflict between the regs, the regulars, you know, the regular clones mm-hmm. and the bad batch. But I think even in that conflict, I think individuality can be expressed through conflict. So you see, you know, them clashing with each other as individuals, you know, I'm, I want this, or I'm like this. You should, you're thinking something different than me, blah, blah, blah. Right. It's all these kind of feelings and expressions of, opinions and beliefs and there's the whole monolithic thing is kind of thrown out the window um but to your point yeah each one of these clones the fact that this is the point in the series where we get introduced to them and each one of them has an individual kind of talent if you will right it just reinforces you know this theme of um individuality Mm -hmm. so i think and then from there you know um this kind of clashes or kind of butts heads um, or maybe even coalesces a little bit with what's going on with the Jedi and mm-hmm. the Jedi, you know, in this, in this, in, in this era of the Jedi, um, I think we're going to find out, you know, later on this year with the high Republic stuff that, you know, things, you know, weren't always this way, but in this era of the Jedi, there is that loss of individuality. You know, they almost encourage right. a loss of, right. you know, a more of a monolithic thought, you know, more of a, don't get attached to anything. Don't do this. Don't do that. Yeah. This is the way Jedi behave. This is what Jedi do. You know, and you have to, to be... mold yourself into that. You have to fit yourself into that box. Exactly. That's a good term, a box. And that seems to be what the Jedi encourage. So it's very interesting throughout this, you know, this, the entire run of the Clone Wars, but specifically since we're talking about these three episodes, it's very interesting to see that butting of you know heads when it comes to philosophies you know mm-hmm. you have the jedi on one end encouraging um a, lo- a loss of you know individuality and a focus on becoming jedi and you know becoming one with the force mm-hmm. then on the other side you have these clones who you know their their quest as we learn throughout you know several seasons of the clone wars is to find their individuality and to there's even you know arcs where they basically you know take a stand there's one really good arc man with um a jedi who kind of um goes rogue i don't want to get in too much into it because i don't want to give it away but this is jedi that uh what was my man's name pong um pong krell so mm-hmm. this was an arc where you know 
uh, Anakin has to, he gets called away on another mission and he basically has to leave Rex and the entire, you know, unit under the control of this other Jedi. And mm-hmm. Pong Krell is a Jedi who is, you know, kind of kind of loved by the council because he gets great results. Um, he's been very successful. But at the same time, this dude basically, you know, he leads his he, he has more losses among his troops than anyone else. What he's doing is basically leading his clones into slaughter, you know, mm-hmm. um, time after time after time. And as we learn through the arc, he really doesn't have a high regard at all for clones. Yeah, and they're expendable. They're expendable. And it's up to Rex and the rest of them to basically, you know, take a stand and say, no, listen, we aren't, you know, we do matter. You know, we aren't, um, we aren't disposable. We're individuals and we have meaning. And there's several moments, I think, within the Clone Wars that that happens. So I think it's, it's interesting when you look at Anakin's relationship with the clones and Rex in particular and you consider that of all the Jedi that we know, maybe Ahsoka notwithstanding, but definitely Anakin is that one who we see struggle with a lot of these tenets of the Jedi, you know, philosophy, specifically, mm-hmm. you know, the detachment of feelings, um, which is a huge part of being an individual. And in this arc, I wanted this is why I wanted to kind of pick your brain about do you see like, the, you know, what is it about Anakin and Rex's relationship? Um Almost it gets it gets it gets expanded, you know, in my opinion, in these first mm-hmm. three, especially the second episode, when we learn something major, you know, that Rex was is aware of Padme's, you know, Anakin and Padme's relationship right. uh, marriage. So what do you think about that, that relationship between the two of them? And what does that say about this, you know, dichotomy and this struggle, I guess, that um, Anakin is going through? Well, I guess that few characteristics about about Anakin he's heavy on the ego side he needs he needs to be stroked often and um because his status you know as a general by some feel is premature you know to make him a Jedi uh at such an early you know right. at, such an, at such an early age he feels like he has to prove himself mm-hmm um, I mean, I, I can't count them as many times that Obi-Wan refers to him as being reckless. It just tells him outright, you're being reckless. Mm-hmm. You Which know? is something that Padme reminds him of um, in, in episode two, um, in A Distant Echo, when he says, she says, well, you know, you're worried about Rex, basically. And when you're doing the same thing he's doing now, where is Rex at? And, you know, yeah. Anakin's like, he's right by my side. And she she reminds him, well, maybe that's where you need to be for him. You know, which was mm-hmm. a, you know, we talked about it before. That was an excellent scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, his recklessness is something that defines him. And I think that's, again, to your point, that's something that binds him, I think, with the clones a bit, especially Rex. Yeah, especially Rex. And I think that that he he does care about Rex and Rex is considered a friend to him, maybe even his best friend, mm-hmm. because Rex doesn't judge him like he may feel that Obi-Wan does given Mm -hmm. the master-apprentice relationship. But also I feel that he takes Rex for granted. And why? Uh, Well, you know, Padme, for example, where Rex is the one that actually has full knowledge of his relationship with Padme, with Anakin's relationship with Padme, you know, to the point where they have their own routine of of how when, when Anakin is off talking to Padme in secret, Rex effectively stands guard. 
and if they you know if discovered rex will send a signal you know and anakin and come out with you know in episode two he comes out with rex's helmet as if he's checking his equipment you know checking it out and stuff like that you know um but i i i had a i had a slight sense of anakin taking rex for granted um you know in like a a a client lawyer almost like you know client attorney privilege Mm -hmm. matter like you can't say anything because you're my commander Mm. i'm your general Mm. I see. I Not didn't that get that. My friend. That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't get that. I didn't get that. I can see it now that you're saying it. Yeah, but I, I thought of that, it more like they. That's what you know. They're boys, and that's what your boy does. Right. You know. Right. But in that, that's that's a that's an excellent point too. You know, you you have those kinds of relationships with people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and it's not in a. It's not in a. It's not intended to be. A, 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 a hurtful way or a manipulative way, you know, mm-hmm. but we all as close as we can be to one another, husband to wife, friend to friend, spouse to spouse, partner to partner, boy to boy, girl to girl, right? You know, have these ebbs and flows of camaraderie and, um, you know, um, uh, I can't think of a big word to con- to uh, capsulize, uh, encapsulize, you know, take for granted, you know, mm-hmm. they're fam. There's certain assumptions that are made. They're fam, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but it's I, like, oh, don't worry about it. X, Y, Z will take care of it. Right, right. You know, uh, oh yeah, man, I messed up, but you got me right. Mm-hmm. And well, I mean, yeah, I got you. And you let's, know what I'm saying? let's let's flip that a little bit though. If, because you know, at this point, you know, obviously we find out like minutes later that Obi One is also aware of the relationship. But before then, before then, or, you know, until that moment, Anakin isn't aware that Obi-Wan knows. And he right. had he obviously didn't go to Obi-Wan and say, you know, I'm married to Padme, you know, keep it, keep it on the low. But I'm married to Padme. He told Rex. And that yeah. to me is like, wow, you know, that's the person he trusted. And I get right. what you're saying. Like, I could see that. Like, maybe he felt, oh, he's my subordinate, so he won't tell. But I don't know, man. Anakin the character of Anakin, because we see Anakin do this, you know, in previous episodes, previous seasons where he's the one that really is like, no, these, you know, I'm not abandoning my men talking about the clones. Right. 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 He he sacrifices a lot to go after R2. Remember that episode where, you know, and yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Obi-Wan was like, nah, just let him go. He's just a droid. You know, he's like, no, he's not just a droid, you know? Um, So if it was anybody else, I may, lean more towards what you're saying as far as the subordinate relationship. But I think Anakin told Rex because of their, you know, that's my guy, you know, that's, that's who I trust. And I'm agreeing with you, but so here's the thing, because mm-hmm. even in this conversation, we've talked about it from the perspective of Anakin. Rex is Anakin's boy. I mean, they have this connection. They have this, they have that. If you asked Rex, is general Skywalker, your friend, mm-hmm. would it, be the same kind of answer. I think so. You see what I'm saying? I think so. And the reason I think so is because I think that intuitively, even though Rex and the other clones will follow any Jedi into battle, it's Anakin that they they follow the most or the most fervently. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because they know not only the, the it's almost like he thinks like them. You know, he's he's you know, they call each other brothers. Which we you know we'll get to that you know some of the you know the yeah. parallels and you know kind of the meanings yeah. behind that later, but they call each other brothers. 
they don't call the Jedi brothers, but if I if I had to imagine if they had one Jedi to elect, you know, as a clone brother, it would be Anakin. You know, he would be the he would be the proxy or the, you know, um yeah. um the brother just, you know, admitted um just out of love. Uh and I think that I get what you're saying. It may be a different kind of take from Rex's point of view. But well, I think just he would because say that they're clones. Him. And what I mean to say is, you know, they're they're duty bound at a DNA level mm-hmm. to follow the to Jedi. be Republic soldiers. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm not you know I'm not yeah to, I mean to be clear I don't feel that Anakin you know exploits actively exploits Rex or any of the clones that are under his command mm-hmm. so much as I do think that there is a certain um um assumption that because they're duty bound, there's certain things that Anakin can expect. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and confidentiality yeah. is one of those things. Mm, I I agree. I agree on the surface of it, but I uh-huh. don't think Anakin. He may expect confidentiality, but I don't think that when he made the decision to tell Rex that I'm secretly married to Padme, it wasn't explicitly so. Yeah, you need to watch out for me when I have these, you know, calls with her, right. and you know, I expect you to be keep that confidential. I don't well, think that's real- why I told him. But here's the thing, though. Do we know that he told him or did Rex just discover it? Well, we don't know unless unless they, you know, you know what I'm saying? So if it was a thing where Rex discovers yeah, it and not and, and Nanakin doesn't have to like threaten him or anything like that. He's like, well, look, man, it's it's really like this, mm-hmm. you know, and because of the, the loyalty and what they've been through, all of those things that, you know, that you were bringing up that are true about Anakin, how he mm-hmm. how he's down for for the clones in general, mm-hmm. you know, because I mean, Anakin himself sees himself as an outsider. You know, yeah. and I think the clones as a group, you know, are outsiders because of what I was talking about a little earlier about how they're treated as just a monolithic community. Mm-hmm. They're going to go this way because that's, that's what they what were designed they to, do. to do. Right. Yeah. I think, uh, you know what, if I was at um, Star Wars or Lucasfilm publishing, I think that I would, you know, the next one of the next novels I would do would be a I would get Claudia Gray or James Lucino or one of the other people on this. Say, listen, I want we want to do a it takes place during the Clone Wars. It's a mission, just just uh, Anakin and Rex and they go off on a mission together and we get to really explore their relationship. And that's when we find out how Rex found out about Padme, you know, whether it was, you know, Anakin telling them whatever, whatever. Um, That would be cool. So let me ask you this. Moving on to this, to the the next kind of um, still still dealing with the individuality, which is, like we said, kind of the main theme through these first three episodes. This is something else that there's another analogy with the clones that, you know, we've seen in previous arcs uh, in previous seasons. And I think there's hints of it in these first in this Bad Batch arc um, of season seven. But there seems to be this allegory of, you know, the clones as an oppressed people, you know, Mm -hmm. um, who are forced Mm -hmm. into servitude um, and maybe even enslavement. The word slave is used. You know, I can't remember what season or what arc it was. But one of the clones um, does, you know, use that word, you know, are we slaves, you know, or they think Mm -hmm. we're slaves. Um, So, you know, there is that allegory present. And, you know, there's, you know, there's uh, episodes that feature clones struggling with, you know, the idea of this constrict, this conscription into the Republic Army against their will, like you said, programmed at a a DNA level. 
Um, one of the reasons that it seems to me in this arc that Rex is taking this mission so personally, yeah, he's going after Echo because Echo is his boy, it's his brother. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's still alive. He believes it in his heart. Mm-hmm. But I think also a part of that is that Rex is he's hell bent on this because it's like it's, it's a statement. He, it's almost like at a subconscious level because Rex is very, very even more than some of the other clones. Rex is very dutiful, um, yes. right. very yes. loyal. Mm-hmm. But I think at a very kind of like almost like at a subconscious core level in this arc, he's making Echo a priority or this mission of going after Echo because it's a way to say we matter. You know, clones, we're not disposable, like you said earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, we're individuals. And if one of us is a left, if there's a chance that Echo is alive on that planet, it's not just about going after him because he's giving away, you know, our playbook to the separatists. Mm-hmm. Is also because I have to make sure that, you know, people understand um, Jedi understand that we matter. And in episode one of the season, when he's looking at that picture of, you know, the crew and basically remarking on the fact that they're, you know, everybody's dead except for mm-hmm. him. Um, Cody says and, you know, Rex says, you know, or no, Cody's, you know, loose to the fact that it's hard to be left alive to be the survivor. But Cody says, you know, something that was interesting to me, he says regular folk don't understand, you know, or, you know, they don't understand what it's like to be in these, you know, to be troopers. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking what regular folk is he talking about? You know, cause it's not like clones hang out, you know, you know, in, in the suburbs or anything, you know what I'm saying? It's like, who is he talking about? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it struck me that maybe he's talking about Jedi. Maybe that's him alluding to the Jedi or to, you know, just anybody who isn't a clone, anybody who isn't mm-hmm. forced into this, this war, um, they don't understand what it is to be a, a clone trooper. And to me, yeah, this whole arc seems to be, or at least a part of this arc seems to be Rex making that claim or making putting that, 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 that plan in that flag. Like, listen, we matter. What, what did you think about that? Is that, did you get any of that from this arc? I mean, I want to say no, but the no would be coming from how I've always kind of inferred that the clones you know, recognize that the Jedi won't understand, you know, their, you know, their situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I really think that one of the hallmarks, I know I've said this before, but, you know, one of the hallmarks of the animations is that in part because it's an episodic structure over a course of a season, mm-hmm. but there's so much richness that can be explored that the films, the standalone films they themselves don't even get into because of the other agendas that they have. All right, the you Skywalker know, marketing, agendas. promotion, children, age. Oh, you're talking about that. You're about the ancillary stuff. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah the ancillary mm-hmm. stuff, you know, mm-hmm. don't wade into because at the end of it, you know, you have to have a feel good moment. You have to have a suspense moment. You have to have these certain these certain uh, tent poles. Right. When, in doing these films, um, you know, the, the, the episodes themselves of the cartoons can get more into the mindset of, of you know, of the characters mm-hmm. and of the groups, the Jedi, the senators, the Senate, you know, um, you know, the clones themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and that just speaks to why I'm really encouraged about about how the how this season of the Clone Wars is starting out because it's like they're centering on what this war, you know, is about. It's about the clones who are doing the fighting. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and they're doing the fighting in a sense against their will, but in reality, it's fulfilling their purpose. Right, and I think but that's even, what the str- what, that's what the clones really struggle with. But their Some purpose, them, yeah, their purpose was like what, to what you said earlier was programmed into them. You know, so it's right. like even that is right. there's no there's no right. choice. It was like yeah, this this is a part of our DNA. The techno union, uh, Watt Tambor, who was the you know the big bad mm-hmm. in these first three episodes, they refer to them as they refer to Echo as property. You know, literally. Yes. Now you know, we're at where I want to get to property <laughs> and. You know, that to me, couple that with, again, the mention of slavery, you know, in, in seasons past, mm-hmm. those type of words, you know, especially being a, a person of African descent, you know, born and raised in this country, those type of words are what, you know, people people today call trigger words. You know, they're like, whoa, what you know, like they make your ears perk up. And yeah, yeah property. And when he called Echo property and then when you see what they're doing to Echo. Um, right. When they find him at the end of uh, episode two, there's that sense of, OK, this is not only, you know, they're they're regarding these clones as, you know, less than human, um, which is something that, you know, anyone of, of, of African-American or African descent in America can kind of relate to in the sense of, yeah, historically, um, there mm-hmm. were times there was long periods of times um, in this country where um, black folks were regarded as less than human. Um, written and written, written down on paper in law, you know. So yeah. I, I think that yeah, that's 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 the thing. I think that allegory, whether Lucas is and and Filoni are purposely doing that, I think those allegories exist. I think that's there mm-hmm. is definitely an agenda there to say, you know, to put that in our face, like, hey, you know, is this what is what is what the Jedi are what is what the Jedi are doing? Is that correct? You know, have they? Because really, dog, listen, outside of Anakin and Yoda, the, the Jedi really, their treatment of the clones is highly um, questionable. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah, yeah. I mean, even, even Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. <laughs> Obi-Wan is very, very binary with it. Right, right. He, you know, he's cool with Cody, even though Cody, yeah, and it's funny because Cody almost took his ass out in uh, Sith once Order 66 is, uh, is, is dropped. And that's what I want to get to. Order 66. Go ahead. But which interesting that 66, you know, 99, 66, 99, Mm. 66. That's interesting Mm -hmm. as well. But I think that, yeah, there's a purposeful, you know, uh, narrative kind of, you know, undercurrent of what these of kind of the allegory of these clones into, you know, people or cultures or whole societies that have been in similar situations. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so let's let's get into Echo's humanity. I think that's what you wanted to move on to, and ha- the fact that when we find him at the end of season, or uh, excuse me, episode two of A Distant Echo, when when Rex finally finds him, and it's proven yeah. that Rex was right, he's alive, mm-hmm. um, and everybody doubted him. Even Anakin doubted him a little bit, or at least Anakin, mm-hmm. like you said, mm-hmm. said you need to be prepared. He was trying to yeah, to really temper his expectations. Right. So when Rex finally finds him, and it's this huge moment when we see Echo. The first thing I thought was, wow, there's a strong um, foreshadowing of what's going to happen to, to Anakin. You know, his humanity is robbed from him. He's more, yeah. as, as Obi-Wan said, he's more machine than man. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that there's there's definitely a hint of Vader there. And I think that was on purpose. But then also there was hints of Frankenstein, you know, with the the, you know, the machines around him and the electric bolts, you know, yes. the, the bolts of electricity going up. And, yes the um the knobs on uh uh echo's neck 
um, some of the matrix, you know, the back of the head, the yeah. back of the head, all those plugs down his back. It looked just yeah. like um, when Neo wakes up and, you know, they unplug all that. They pull all that stuff out of him and very strong in the matrix. And then also the Borg from Star Trek, which I know you're not. I think I don't think you're there yet in the um, in the in Star Next Trek. Generation. Next generation. Yeah. I think that's later. That may be first or second season. But the Borg, anybody who knows the Borg from Star Trek, when you see this scene with Echo, there's a feeling there also of what happens to. Um, I won't spoil it for you, Arthur, but there's, you know, what happens to certain humans um, who encounter the Borg, um, uh, one human in particular. So, you know, Rex says, you know, he tells the the people of the uh, the planet there on Skako Minor, the Pol- Poltex, he says, look at what they did to my friend. You know, they took away his freedom, his humanity. They tried to um, turn him into a machine. So to me, I mean, that's where you want to get to, right? You want to get to this lost humanity. And to me, that's where it was, you know, this whole theme of individuality. That's when it was like, look at what happens, you know, when you try to take away someone's individuality from them and people start treating those people as if they don't matter. Yes. And, you know, and also Order 66 itself, when it happens in Sith, Mm -hmm. because what we do know is that not every clone was susceptible order 66 well we know that uh rex specifically rex gregor and i forgot the other guy's name took their chips out you know because in in that final arc and i need to go back and rewatch it but the final arc of season or the first or, or excuse me in season six of the clone wars i think it's the first arc um where it's fives or someone is you know learns about the chip and essentially tries to alert everyone and everybody. He's he's basically called crazy. He's a nutcase. You know, it's like, what is mm-hmm. he talking about? Um, and shit does not go well for him. So, you know, I don't know how I guess that's what we're going to see this season is how Rex finds out about this um, and eventually removes his trip, his chip. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that. You yeah, know, yeah. Yeah. You got to yeah. wonder the Bad Batch, you know, are, are did, did they obey Order 66? Because that's some crazy shit. You know, I would love mm-hmm. to see that. Um, or did they take out the chip or did they, did ever, they, did they ever have right, a chip? Did they ever have it to begin with? Exactly. Exactly. Right, Cause they're desirable Cause I mean, mutations in star Wars rebels. When, when, um, the crew of, um, the ghost, they find Rex. Mm-hmm. It's not like Rex starts, you know, snaps and tries to take out Kanan. Right. Because although Kanan, Kanan for a second is like, Oh, is he about to attack me? Which is, which yeah, is right. <laughs> right. 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 He doesn't trust clones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, it just makes me wonder it, because of, because of echo being referred to as property, um, because, um, of the room, the computer, the system, the computer system that echo was hooked up to is referred to as, you know, an experiment years of research. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, all right, is, is this chip that's triggered by order 66, you know, is this something that's being exploited? Is this something that's being worked on? Is this something that's being, you know, mm-hmm. independently, you know, developed in some way? Mm-hmm. Because when they lose echo, they don't want to tell the separatists right away. Right. Yeah. He says we need to recoup our loss. This is a huge loss for us. And we need to recoup. Right. That. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, yeah. And yeah, it seemed, that, yeah. because of that, it seemed to be more than just, you know, we lost our military advantage. Mm. It seems mm. to be much, much, much more than that. Yeah. That's a, that's an excellent. That's a good call. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So when, um, when all this, this kind of, you know, talk about individuality and humanity, 
it makes me wonder, man, you know, Ahsoka's coming back, you know, and we see, you know, we've seen the clip, we've seen when she first appears and, you know, she's like, hello, master to, to Anakin. Yeah. Does any of this strengthen, you know, cause Ahsoka, if you think about her arc and why she left the Jedi order, mm-hmm. um, she's not as, you know, I don't think she was ever as hell bent on individual individuality as Anakin is, or has those struggles like Anakin does. But when she leaves the Jedi order, then when we see her again in rebels, there is that sense of she's, you know, she, she just cannot, she, she wouldn't have been successful living in that box of Jedi principles. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically when the, that those principles got turned against her or weren't there for her when she needed them to be. Um, so is, does any of this kind of like heighten your anticipation or desire to see her return or what that's going to be like? Cause we know eventually her and Rex are going to be in on, you know, on Mandalore, um, you know, fighting that battle probably when order 66 gets, you know, is, uh, is executed. So does any of this heighten your anticipation for those kind of those events or her return? Oh, very much so. I mean, that's to me, that's the shoe that's just waiting to drop. Like I'm thinking, I'm hoping that, you know, in episode four, we actually get to hear one of the Jedi say her name mm-hmm. and just kind of like deal with the elephant in the room. Right. Like, you know, you know, <laughs> right. We know we failed her, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, cause Anakin clearly feels some kind of way about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping that you know, eventually I'm hoping that we get to know uh, in this season, you know, we get to know how Ahsoka at least gets on the path to eventually becoming the Asian fulcrum mm-hmm. in Rebels, you know, to kind of, you know, link link this all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, overall, to me, it's I'm, I'm, I'm very I'm highly um, anticipating those things, those events. But to echo kind of uh, no pun intended, but to echo what you said earlier, I find it very interesting and almost comforting that I think this season is only 12 episodes. So for them to for the first three episodes, for the first arc to be focused on clones um, and not just immediately jump in with the whole Ahsoka, Anakin, you know, Mandalore, you know, all those types of things, which we know are coming. Mm hmm. I think it's um, it was comforting for me to see them begin this season with a clones arc um, and kind of going right back to that reinforcement of the clones as individuals and, you know, not to not to be um, uh, not to mock it at all. But clones matter. Clone lives matter. You know what I'm saying? It was yeah. like, that's almost yeah. what they were saying. <laughs> yeah. Clone lives you know? matter. And, and that's that's kind of what Rex was like, kind of quietly saying even when at the beginning of episode two, when even when Anakin is like, yeah, I'm sure the council will approve the mission. Rex is like, okay, let's go now. You know, let's not even wait. You know, he's Mm -hmm. just very anxious to like make this. I kind of, I kind of make this statement and go get his boy. Um, So listen, before we, before we wrap this up, uh, the one thing that you mentioned before, I know we want to touch on is that, that the last scene of episode three. Yeah. The look on Echo's face, you know, the battle is won. Um, he's safe now. Um, and you know, Rex tells him it's all good. Things are going to be just like they were before, you know, we're, everything's back to normal now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Echo has that look and he kind of, he repeats Rex's statement in kind of a mournful way. Like, you know, as if he's just now realizing he's about to return to his old life as a clone trooper. Mm-hmm. So is that, is that kind of what you, cause that's what I interpreted from it, that he was like, 
I'm, I left one. It's almost like he's saying I left one form of slavery to rejoin another one, you know, a, yeah. a more desirable one, obviously, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's still an enslavement. Is that what you got out of it? Because that's that's kind of what I got. Um, no, actually, I got something different. I mean, I felt like because of because of what Echo had gone through. And if you remember when they were trying to escape, when they were trying to get out of that room that Echo was in and the um, the separatist army was closing in. Or actually, it wasn't even separatist, but just the, the, the droid army that was there um, guarding that facility. Echo knew how to get out. Right, how to get out through that hatch. And the reason why was because just as they tapped into me to figure out what the plans were, I got access to their whole their whole mainframe. They just their whole system. Mm-hmm. You know. Um and so I kind of felt that when I saw that last scene that Echo had either another agenda that he had to follow because of that experience or uh. You think he might that be like a he was going to be used. He was basically just going to be used by mm. the Republic now to tap into mm. what the separatists may have um, g- given him access to unexpectedly. But do you think? Oh, so you feel like he may get used by the the Republic just like he was used by the separatists, um, right? But do you think? Right. Do you think there's a chance he might be a sleeper agent? Like they may have planted something yeah. in him um the separatists may have planted something yeah. in him that they're gonna you know order 66 slash manchurian candidate his ass and you know he's going yeah to that was my that was and, yeah that was my first thought mm, i hope that's not true man i you know i, I it's from a actually from a from a writing standpoint it's it kind of is a good way to go because that'd be really interesting and yeah. entertaining but from an emotional standpoint i hope it's not true because i really felt something when rex at the end of season two or episode two when rex walks in that room and you know they find him and he tells tech you know help me get him down and everything mm-hmm. it was emotional man because you know and echo looks at me says you know rex you, you came back for me like he was surprised yeah. you know yeah so yeah. part of him didn't believe i would you know he was worth coming back for like why would you come back for him i'm yeah. just a clone but and rex is like of course i did you know so it was a very touching moment so i hope yeah, it'll be it'll be messed up to find out. Yeah, he's some sort of sleeper agent. Um, See, I think Rex knows. I'm sorry. I think Echo knows much more than the separatists think he does, mm-hmm. and the Republic thinks he does. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I think that he's caught in the middle, and you know, and plus, he's you know he's half human at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if they, I would you know, if this was a 20 episode season I would say they have a lot more room to play with that um, I, if they do go that route then it will be obviously in, in, in integral to the whole Ahsoka coming back you know Mandalore plot because mm-hmm. they've only got you know um, 12 episodes a season to play with that yeah. so I mean let's not forget the Separatists win Right. <laughs> right. So <laughs> right. there may be other you know, reasons other than there are only going to be certain that things that are that come out sweet right. for the <laughs> right for yeah. the Republic Army. So moving from one uh, bittersweet moment into another. Mm. Something happened last week. <laughs> uh, something happened last week. Mm. Um, so, you know, if you're a regular follower of uh, Mad Unreal, and um, we hope that you are, and if this is your first episode, we welcome you to invite you in uh encourage you to follow us on uh, Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify and um, uh, leave a review 
um, it really does help expose more people to uh, to the show and to what we do. We have been doing a special, I guess, a special series of shows called 007 and Counting uh, in preparation for the April, early April release of the 25th James Bond film, uh, technically the 26th, 6th, but the 25th of Eon Productions' canon James Bond films, and the last to star Daniel Craig as James Bond 007. On the 4th of March, it was announced that the film is moving from its April release all the way into late November um, because of the coronavirus and the spread of um, this disease uh, throughout uh, throughout Asia, uh, throughout Europe, and beginning to make its encroachment into the United States. I so think that Isaac, I, read, I read that somewhere... I don't know if this is correct, but when Spectre opened, thirty, I think 38% of its opening weekend box office came from, you know, global box office came from Asia. Mm. Um, and then I think 10% of its overall gross, global gross, you know, at the end of the day, 10% of that came from Asia. So, yeah, this is obviously, you know, this is a um, this is a business move and. They did the calculations, they punched the numbers and their accountants mm-hmm. told them, listen, we're going to lose, you know, 35 mil if we move it to November. But if we open it now, we lose, you know, what, twice as much of that or three times. I don't know what the number is, but obviously right. it was more than they were comfortable in losing. So they moved it. So where were you when you heard the news? Um, I was at home working and I got a text uh from you, as a matter of fact. Oh, that's that the said, first time you knew. I, I thought you'd. I thought I was late. That was the first time you. you I was heard. late. That was the first time I heard about it. Oh. I was working on a project. Saw 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 your text. Uh, something to the effect of, "Yeah, I just read about this. I just read about this. No time to die. We'll, we'll, we'll talk later." And I'm thinking, like, okay, <laughs> what happened now? <laughs> I mean, if you want right. to talk about a film project that's had setbacks. Right. I mean, I sent that text because I was like, I assume because I, I had been in meetings. And so my I had my phone on do not disturb. Yeah. And so when I, you know, finally got back into the world and was looking at it, I saw it on Twitter. and I thought it was a joke. The first post I saw, I was like, oh, they, they're trying. Uh-huh. Then, you know, as, of course, when I found out it was true and I, you know, I, something in my stomach sank because I was like, oh, you know, no, you know, the anticipation for this, not just not not just outside or excuse me outside of just 007 and counting personally you know i was very obviously looking forward to seeing this film in a few weeks so yeah i was like you know i had to sit back in my chair and let it sink in for a second and then when i text you though i just assumed you were you already knew i thought i was late so yeah i would have never text you like that i would have text you like yo man you know it's like i would have called you, you know yeah, yeah 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 <laughs> that ain't a text that's a call you know what i'm saying that's we need to talk <laughs> but man, I mean, if you want to talk about now, now, hey, just, just seriously, the the health concerns that's 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 a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, granted, this is a protection of, of of investment, but this is not the only casualty of of needing to do something drastic um, for both the concern of you know uh i mean clearly an investment of work and costs and production mm-hmm. um uh, but also the uh the public health um you know facebook has canceled their f8 convention 
um, Apple may uh, it's South by Southwest got canceled. Apple mm-hmm. a- Apple is probably going to cancel their worldwide developer conference. Mm-hmm. Um, Google has canceled their I.O. Um, conference. So this is uh, affected. Of, I mean, I think I think um, the um, I forget the name of it, but there's a global mobile conference. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I think that was the first that was the first one to um, um, to be uh, to be canceled. And this stuff isn't being postponed. This is straight up, canceled, you know, canceled. Right. right. But for this so film, Bond is just getting moved. You know, for this film, this is like you said, this is one of many setbacks. That we've seen. One of many. I mean, yeah. gee, geez, we're talking about a director switch. I mean, initially the film's director was Danny Boyle, mm-hmm. um, gone. and and then you know he was gone. He was replaced by Kerry uh, Fukunaga, um, whom we're really encouraged about right. from the things that we've seen and the interviews that we've seen with both him and cast. Um, but then soon after after the the director switch, Daniel Craig was injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he broke his leg. Like he was in like uh, a leg cast, ankle or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that um, happened. Yeah, I mean, we even did a we even did an early Man and Real show, worrying about is there enough time to actually get this film promoted? <laughs> so <laughs> right. that you know, <laughs> little did we know, right? Yeah, right. I mean, geez, they've even switched out the composers of the score. Mm-hmm. Dan Romer gone. Uh, way back before even that, you know, we were expecting a press conference. Um, the typical. Um, press conference that happens where you know the director comes out tells us you know or the producers and or director come out um, it's broadcast all over the world you find out Mm -hmm. the name of the film who the cast is and you get a little bit of details about the plot that didn't happen Um, and then the next thing we hear uh, was the whole controversy over you know uh, Lashana Lynch is the new 007 and you know the internet blew up over that um what else happened uh i think that was i think that was the latest thing you know there were little hiccups here and there i think there was a you know there's a fire on the set someone got injured stunt person got injured um there was you know there's rumors about uh, fukunaga was doing you know causing delays on the set you know which i think Mm -hmm. was bullshit so there's just a lot of things going on with this movie to the point where you wonder you know, you got to think that there is going to be a book, you know, one day, you know, especially especially if the movie becomes, you know, a huge hit and it becomes one of the you know best bonds ever. Mm-hmm. There will be a this is how look at all the drama that happened behind the scenes yeah, against all odds, right, right? Against all odds. And then this movie becomes overcoming this. all obstacles. Um, but for right now, we're in the thick of it, man. You know, and so when this happened, when this announcement was made. It was, you know, like we said, it was it was very disappointing as a fan because, you know, now I got to wait um, as this, this segment is called 007 more months. I got to wait seven more months outside of what I thought I was going to have to wait to see this film. Um, but it was just one of many, you know, damn here. This this movie has yeah. been through a lot. This and this is a true. I mean, this is a true setback because this is the announcement came off the heels of um, Billie Eilish's theme song. Yeah, and yeah. The buzz surrounding that. Yeah, which is so one they of the things. were on an yeah. incline to to come in, you know, to come into April with this film. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of momentum that they're going to have to uh, attempt to regain. Mm-hmm. How do you think? How do you think this is going to, you know, because obviously we're going to see a fall off in marketing. Um, yeah. Although last night, as we're recording this last night, Daniel Craig hosted SNL. And they did, you know, during the commercial break, I think it was the first commercial break, they did show a new trailer for No Time to Die, um, which was surprising because I, I, I thought they would just kill all marketing immediately. 
but evidently they already had that slot. Maybe they already paid for it. So F it. Let's go ahead and drop this trailer. Mm-hmm. But I think obviously they're not going to keep dropping new trailers for the next seven months. You know, <laughs> it'd be like to the point where, you know, right. we get like an hour's worth of the movies. That's not going to happen. Um, how do you think, though, this is going to affect casual fans? Because we know bond heads are going to go, you know, November. It's like, sure. OK, fine. You could say this movie has been delayed for another three years. Whenever it drops, bond fans will be there. What about the casual fans that these films need in order to, to fill that box office? Is their interest going to wane between now and November? Well, uh, you know, I actually don't think so, particularly on the casual fan front, because um, the, you know, the fact remains that this is Daniel Craig's last Bond film. Mm-hmm. Um, there is time to put together, um, a, you know, a contingency marketing plan and and when to begin to execute that, you know. And, you know, this this isn't. The, the only film that it calls into question. I mean, there's the summer schedule that's coming up, you know, beginning Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. Black Widow could be in jeopardy. Wonder Woman could be in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Um, we just don't know how extensive, we're at the beginning of this coronavirus outbreak. Um, it's only been, I don't even think it's been two months. Yeah, it's been about six weeks. So six weeks of six weeks of intense media speculation, you know, uh, coverage. Yeah, it jumped yeah, off since by the, the end of December, New Year. but yeah, it was six mm-hmm. weeks of intense media speculation. So you know, this is the you know where's the tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. of this, um, and it's kind of a thing where because we are all taking a hit, nobody's really going to take a hit. We you know we are, we're all in the same boat. We all have to kind of figure this out together. Mm-hmm. Um. I know that there was one thing that you and I were talking about offline. You know, I had wondered if Disney would release like as just full on, you know, worst case scenario backup plan. Would Black Widow get released to Disney Plus? Yeah. And I, yeah, like I said, I don't think I definitely don't see that happening simply because of the cost to make that movie um, and the fact that. You know, you're already that pipeline or that assembly line of theatrical release and all these people have to be taken care of. Um, I just don't see it happening. I I think that, again, like I told you in the text, unless when you hit play on Disney Plus, it automatically charges you another twenty five dollars. I don't see that. I don't see them doing that. If anything, because when Black Widow is May. Right. So Mm -hmm. we're about a month and a half out. So if anything, I could see them pushing it maybe to August. Um, mm-hmm. August is typically not as busy as June or July. I don't know. I you know I don't have the slate in front of me of what other what other things are dropping in August. But Eternals is supposed to drop in November for for mm-hmm. the MCU. So I don't see them pushing you know Black Widow too close to Eternals. So maybe August. Um, but then you, I know you like you said it's kind of you get into a situation. Yeah, we're all in the same boat. But we don't all want to be dropping movies within, you know, two and three weeks of each other. Yeah. You know? I mean, this, like, is, this is all very fluid because because we're making assumptions and not just you and I, I think I think collectively content makers are, are, are making assumptions about how this is going to play out. You know, what if it gets to be a point where no one wants to go to the Cineplex? Mm hmm. Yeah, you know I'm saying. I, yeah, I mean, listen, because if you're in a movie theater, you're in a packed movie theater, and two or three people start coughing. Yeah, yeah. What, I mean, the same with airplanes. What's really going to happen? Right, with airplanes and everything else. But I mean, 
that to me that falls under the category we don't know you know because we have to see how this like you said absolutely very early so we have to see how this plays out and you know we have to also remember there's been a lot of other um outbreaks pandemics whatever you want to call them there's this mm-hmm. has happened before um but it's too early to know how extreme this is going to be so my question though to what you said earlier is if you know okay so we got a november release thanksgiving in the united states earlier november right. for uh uk for right. no time to die eon is obviously going to reboot their their marketing how are they going to do that? Because I, I kind of feel like it can't be, oh, here's a, you know, kind of you remember this trailer that you saw, you know, a year ago, you know, what I'm saying or mm-hmm. nine months ago. Here's that trailer with a few extra scenes. I feel like they're going to have to come with a fresh, almost like a fresh perspective, you know, like new music, new something. You know, they got to do something to get us, you know, uh, re-energized, excited all over again for this film. Is that is yeah. I mean, what do you think? What do you think is that? Do you think that that's their thinking or what do you think they might do? Well, because they have additional time, you know, it's possible that the film could be, I won't go so far to say recut, mm-hmm. but there could be a situation where they could create a trailer that's akin to the types of Star Wars trailers that I always rant about, where it's like you begin to see stuff in the trailer that looks dope that actually is not in the film. Mm. I would hate for them to do that. To yeah. begin to entice audiences mm-hmm. to go to it, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tough nut to crack. You know, but they, they just released a different movie poster. Like they just released a new movie, yeah, movie like, poster. Like you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there could be art redesign mm-hmm. to come out with a fresh take for it. And that, I think um, that's what they have to do because I, I, they've it's done. Like, yeah, you have to look at stuff where it's because like, you're not going to reshoot anything. Everybody's done. Now, okay, you know now I want to get, so get nothing like that is going to go. That's but, something but, I want to get to though too. Because well, hold on, put that on the shelf for a second. Uh-huh. One thing that they've done very well um, over the you know these last two or three months of marketing is that basically all these trailers, all these clips have basically like two, three scenes just from different angles. You know, it's like the, mm-hmm. the earliest scene that takes place in Italy, um, the pre-title sequence. We've seen that, you know, him jumping off that bridge from like five different angles. So it's like yeah. they really, we still don't know a lot about this movie. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's two hours and 43 minutes. We still haven't gotten, you know, but like two or three scenes, you know, that we've seen repeatedly just from different angles. So I actually like that. And it worries me that, you know, come November, we might get more of the movie than I actually want, or not even November, say September, um, when they start the marketing back again, we might get actually more of the movie than I want to see. But okay, so put that aside. What you just said a minute ago, though, reshoots. The plot point, there's one of the plot points in this this film that's rumored, I don't know if it's confirmed, it's true, but that Safin, um, the uh, antagonist in this film, is dealing dealing with some sort of bioweapon or biochemical or something. Um, mm-hmm. So with everything going on with this, you know, this virus scare in our real world right now, it makes me wonder, are they nervous about, you know, a film that, you know, may hit a little too close to home? You know what I'm saying? And talking about diseases and the spreading of diseases and stuff like that. And if so, you know, are there going to be any reshoots this summer? You know, are there going to be some things that they may twiddle with? Who knows? I, you know, they haven't said anything. Um, it won't be something that if it does happen, we won't know about it until it's actually happening. And somebody sends a you know, picture from a, uh, you know, from a set if it's out, if it's on location. 
but it you know there may be elements of this this plot that change you know that could happen um which also kind of concerns me because it sounds like it sounds like when they wrapped this film everybody was very happy you know that thing that you sent me the other day the fandango interview with you know uh uh Mm -hmm. fukunaga craig lashana lynch um jeffrey wright and uh uh was Madeline Swan, uh, the actress who plays Madeline Swan. Um, so when they were all together and they were having that conversation, it seemed very, everybody seemed so happy about the product, you know, this art, this piece of art that they made and everybody seemed to be like, listen, we went through hell to get here, but mm-hmm. this film is special. You know, this yeah. film is very special. So, I, you know, I would hate to see anything. If, if that's the case, it does worry me a bit that there, if they, if there needs to be any, you know, tweaking done to it, hopefully it won't, you know, disturb kind of the good place that this film was at when it was supposed to be released in April. I mean, hopefully not, but you gotta, I mean, come on, if, if, if you can't, I don't see you being able to reshoot around a bioweapon and still have it make sense if it's in <laughs> right. fact the plot point. You know, you're basically now you're saying, okay, we just need to make a whole new movie. Right. What takes place what takes because, the place of the bioweapon? <laughs> right. Because the characters are reacting to to that central threat. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I Leah Sadu, I'm sorry, Leah Sadu. That's that's what I can think of. Madeline Swan, Leah Sadu. Sorry, Leah. She's a long time yeah. listener. Well, and you know, I don't know I don't know anybody's names. <laughs> the the uh, you know, we, we've had, <laughs> so I want to be sensitive to this because I'm sensitive to it. I mean, I'm a, I've always been a voracious hand washer, but one thing that this has done that's actually helped me is that I've long had uh, a habit of touching my face with my hands, you know, mm-hmm. right. um, but the, you know, the idea of, of, you know, the idea of a virus sort of coming, this impending doom, you know, begins to make these things that we all know we should do. Now it's like it's vital that we do. Would you feel but it's, would you feel uncomfortable going to see a movie that, you know, has those type of elements in it while you're in the midst of dealing with that in, in real life? Would you feel uncomfortable with that? No. Okay. And I don't. And and see, that's the thing. That's why I was like, okay, well, how do I? Because I want to be sensitive to this. But it's like, you know, we, The Walking Dead, World War Z. Um, uh, I mean, gosh, I'm not a zombie guy, but uh, I mean, how many zombie films and zombie-like films have there been over the last ten, fifteen years? You know, I mean, the one with Will Smith, where he's like the last human being in New York City. Well, I am legend, but we are. I am but, legend. But I am we, legend. As bad as the virus is, we know that, you know, or at least at least at this point, we don't believe that we're going to turn into zombies. You know, I'm, that's I'm, just with, you. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. But in the, this movie, but, you know, but the zombie. Yeah. But the zombie is an encapsulation of a virus, of a, of right. a contagion. Right. You but know? I'm saying in this film and, and, and if and again, we're speculating because we don't know. But in this film in No Time to Die, we can presume that Saffins, if he is indeed dealing with some sort of bioweapon or, or virus, it has much more realistic consequences. And so that's why I'm like, okay. True. And I think, I actually think that you're on the side when you, you know, when you say no, it wouldn't bother you. I was devil's, av- I was kind of devil's advocating for that, you know, 
fact that some people may be bothered by that. But I just saw sure. something yesterday that Contagion, the 2011 um, film uh, from uh, Soderbergh dealing with an outbreak of, you know, a, a pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mm-hmm. of, a, of a deadly disease. Um, that's gone. Like, I think the, the, you know, people basically people are, are downloading that and p- pulling it up on the streaming services. Everybody's all into that now. You know what I'm saying? People yeah, are watching I mean, it. So that's even, why I say I um, think your 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 take on it is probably more accurate. Like most people probably wouldn't be worried about that. Um, would they be worried about seeing it in a crowded theater? That's another story. Now, see, there you go. That's another story. You know, I mean, I even remember Outbreak. Uh, I forget what year it came out, but it was in the 90s uh, with Dustin Hoffman, Cuba Cooding Jr. and Morgan Freeman. You know, I mean, that was kind of like, you know, a thing, a worry mm-hmm. that something like that could happen. But it didn't stop people from going to see it you know it it, it's it was what we're going through now from an entertainment standpoint is different than 9-11 you know 9-11 tv shows films were being pulled you know held up reworked right yeah. Just from the standpoint that the World Trade Center towers were shown mm-hmm. on the screen, mm-hmm. right? Because of the level of, of yeah, yeah because of the cool. level of personal loss and and concrete connections that could be made mm-hmm. with that event, and I'm submitting that contagions are different; that they're more abstract. Mm-hmm. And part part of the reason I believe is that. All of us have had a cold. Most of us have had the flu. Most of us have had the flu on multiple occasions. Mm -hmm. And I'm not raising that to say that it's not a big deal, but I am raising that to say that we know what this is like. We know what we're facing from the standpoint of how we feel. Mm -hmm. We, it's just being presented as fact, more of like a super flu. Mm -hmm. Mm So, okay. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So, all that in mind, best case scenario for this film, what do you envision with everything you just said, all the fears, all the, you know, all the, everything that's happening in our real life right now in the real world. Yeah. And the consequences of that, we just saw last week, this film get pushed to November. Yeah. So, the seven months, you know, again, you know, we call in this segment, you know, uh, 007 more months. Seven more months sounds like an extraordinarily long time to wait on a film, yeah, but we do does. know life happens and November's going to be here before we know it. Correct. Now, so, here's the go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, well, here's the thing, too. I mean, we're approaching summer. Viruses have difficulty living in warmer climate. The hotter it is, the less likely the virus can live outside the host, right? November is damn near wintertime. So what happens if the virus comes back <laughs> right in time force? for right in time for the opening of no time? Are to they die. are they gonna? <laughs> they and I'm not I'm not I'm not saying this to be funny, but is the film gonna get delayed to next April? Okay, so that's that's why I asked you. You though. see what I'm saying? Right, but that's why so I, I think the bigger risk to the film is not you know what do we do to repromote this? You, you know, I, I think the bigger risk to DMGM, the bigger question is 
not what do we do to re-promote Bond and to get people to the theaters. The bigger risk is, are people going to come to the theaters at all, regardless mm-hmm. of what we do? We're just pushing it out to November because we're hoping that, a, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting words into their mouth, but I'm just stating the obvious assumptions that, okay, maybe we'll... It, it, the outbreak in the U.S. at least won't be as bad as we as we as we think it will. Mm-hmm. That by November, the outbreaks that have happened in Europe and especially in Asia, you know, are contained and 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 managed mm-hmm. now. That people will come back out to the theater, um, and also that we'll have a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, vaccine is not going to happen that quickly. It'll be at least it'll be at least, I think next spring or summer for those if there if there's a vaccine. But listen. You painted. You just painted the picture of worst case scenario that you know they yeah. may have to push it again. That's worst yeah. case. Best yeah. case scenario. What do you want to see happen with this film? In other words, do you feel like okay, September, we start rolling out, you know, trailers again, you know, because yeah. uh, to me that is the best case scenario. We start seeing, and we and to your point, we see not more of the film, but we do see a different angle, a different take. They might reboot the marketing in a way that's mm-hmm. unexpected. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's the best case scenario, I think, is that we see, you know, it's not like we're just going to, okay, pick up from where we left off last March. We're yeah. going to kind of re, not just reboot this marketing, we're going to freshen it up a bit to get you excited in a different way. I think that's the most, I certainly think that's the most economical scenario mm-hmm. for Eon, for MGM. Um and I think that's also the most fluid kind of scenario, because if you tinker with the plot, I don't think you even with reshoots, I don't think you can finagle it in such a way that you don't tear down the entire story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's different. You know, in, in, in the Star Wars example, you had enough footage of Carrie Fisher that when she passed on, you could still construct a story and include Princess Leia. You know, you're not going to be able to do something like that with no time to die. If if it's true that the that the main plot point, the main threat is mm. yeah. you know, a biologically related right. uh, uh, disaster or threat. Right. And like I said, I, that's conjecture. Um, there's just been, you know, there's none of that is, has been, mm-hmm. has been a uh, lockdown. Those are just, you know, rumors that have been floating and, around. So, and honestly, that'd be the best asset. The fact that if they can, if they can, if they can put a lid on leaking, mm-hmm. then that's going to go a long way from getting people back to the theaters to go see Bond. Right. So listen, seven months, like we said, is a, a long time it seems like right now um gonna go by quicker than we think but to end this on a high note as we like to do on this show um we put together you know to help you out you know what i'm saying to help you serious bond fans out you know what are you going to do over the next seven months you had you had your tickets for april <laughs> some of y'all yeah. bought plane tickets you know what i'm saying it was yeah. like it right. was you know everything was in place some of y'all might have taken a couple a day or two off work you know you were ready to see this film um, everything's jacked up right now. So what are you going to do during the seven month wait? So what do we do, Arthur? We put together a list. So, yeah, we put together a list. So the Man Unreal top five things a Bond fan can do until November. Uh, number five, read a book. Mm. I know that I, I know I have never in read an even, <laughs> in, well, right, right, right. Just but specifically, <laughs> right. <laughs> right, read to your child. <laughs> I have never read an Ian Fleming novel, a Bond. Mm. Okay, novel. interesting. 
Okay. And this would be a great time for me to be able to do that and actually um, familiarize myself with the uh, the literary bond. Okay. But we have a, we, yeah, I'm not mad at that at all. Um, but we have a specific recommendation for you guys. Um, number five, read a book. We are recommending um, 2018's Anthony Horowitz's Forever and a Day, which I actually have. Um, Mr. Turnbull, right here, as you can see, fans can't ah, see it. But you can see did it. you just wait? Did you, have you always had that, or did you just? Well, buy I it? bought it when it came. Well, I bought it several months after it came out, and it's on my dock. You know, I have a dock of books. Like I'm, I just you know keep a dock of things. Like okay, I'm going to read this, and then this one's yeah, okay. next up. So, okay. this was actually probably number three or four um, on the dock, but I'm going to move it up um, and read it probably starting maybe next week. Um, and it is, you know, basically what this story is, is the beginnings of 007. So this is a prequel to Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll read you the inside cover really quickly. Uh, a spy is dead. A legend is born. The sea keeps its secrets, but not this time. One body, three bullets. 007 floats in the waters of Marseille, killed by an unknown hand. It's time for a new agent to step up. Time for a new weapon in the war against organized crime. It's time for James Bond to earn his license to kill. This is the story of the birth of a legend in the brutal underworld of the French Riviera. So basically the book opens up with, um, you know, 007 dying. And next up to take his number is a young agent by the name of James Bond. So it's um it's a it's a prequel, like I said, to Casino Royale. So that Number five, while you are waiting for No Time to Die, which is going to be the most recent entry into the to the Bond canon, um, pick up this book, Anthony Horowitz, Forever in a Day. I've heard a lot of great things about it. I don't think I've heard anyone, any reviewer or anybody say anything, anything other than that. It's definitely a good read. Um, so pick up that book and you can find out the beginnings of 007. All right. What's number four on our list of top five things a Bond fan can do until November? Number four is check out a great Bond, non-Bond flick. Such as? Uh, uh, such as the Thomas Crown Affair. Um, specifically the one, uh, the remake that starred uh, Pierce Brosnan, if you really want that uh, Bond flavor to it. Yeah, this movie, um, 1999, when Brosnan was at the peak of his you mm-hmm. know, Bond reign, reign as James Bond, um, he went off and did a flick that it, it, on the surface is very similar to Bond. You know, Thomas yeah. Crown, if you saw the original um, Steve McQueen, Faye Dunaway version, Thomas Crown is like a, you know, kind of a rich playboy, you know, adventurer or seeking adventure or seeking thrills, blah, blah, blah. But then when you actually see the movie, it's, it's very different than James Bond and Pierce Brosnan. I mean, he kills it. He really kills it. I, I highly recommend um, this movie and is one that I haven't seen in a very long time. So it's, I'm going to check it, check it out. So, um, over this, over this next seven months. So yeah, number four, watch a bond, non bond flick. Um, and the one Hey, you know, even if you watch the original, like I've seen the original Thomas crown affair with Steve McQueen, uh-huh. Yafit Koto is in it. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah. So there's a, there's and a, there's a bond connection there. Dr. Kananga from uh, Live and Let Die. Right, right. So this, the one that we're recommending though has, actually has Bond in the lead role. So check it out. Um, 1999, Thomas Crown Affair. Uh, number three, 
Yeah, check out uh, George Lazenby's Becoming Bond. Uh, it's streaming on Hulu. Uh, that I haven't seen. I do- see is it this. a documentary? Yeah, this is a documentary. It's a very, <laughs> it's a very unique documentary in the way that it unfolds because really our uh, beloved George Lazenby um, from On Her Majesty's Secret Service is he's he's basically telling you the story not, not only of how he became Bond um, but also of his early life um, from childhood all the way up until you know the, his modeling days and um, right before Bond how he got Bond and then um, post Bond but he's doing it in a way that is kind of like your uncle, your old uncle who, you know, is kind of telling you half lies, but really telling mm-hmm. you the truth at the same time. Um, so you kind of have to parse what's what. But at the same time, the lies aren't complete lies because they have elements of the truth in them. That's the way Lazenby tells this story. And mm-hmm. it's very, very entertaining, man. And there's some actually some very hilarious moments and there's actually some very touching moments um, where he's actually he, he gets he gets. Um, at some points he gets very honest um, to the point where he's saying things that you can tell are even surprising him in the moment um, about mistakes that he made, um, not just with, you know, in his professional life, but with personal relationships. Um, and it's very raw. This one, you, uh, you, you're not watching this with the kids cause he, you know, George, George is George and he shows you what's up <laughs> with what, what, the, <laughs> the type of shit he was into back then. Um, he gets a little raw with it. So, all right. So, yeah, that's number three. Check out um, George Lazenby's Becoming Bond, currently streaming on Hulu, I believe. Number two. Moving to number two. Uh, spend some time with some other spies. Uh, there's several spy films. Now, I'm going to have a good time with this because a lot of the films that you had recommended, I actually haven't seen. Right. We got three films for you guys. Um, you know, it's, it's good to, you know, listen, if you're a serious Bond head cool but it's you know there's a lot of other bond there's a lot of the spy stuff out there so that's what we're recommended during this seventh months um that you're waiting for no time to die you know spend some time with some other spies so number one on that list of the three films that we're recommending is this one i haven't seen this is one um actually our, our brother from another mother jahan recommended this to me okay um and it's on my list uh michael kane in the ipcris file um, I know you haven't seen this either, right? No, no. So you know I'm, I'm glad to it? know that I haven't seen something that you also haven't seen. So um, <laughs> I know nothing about it. I know nothing. So about this, it. this, this, book, this movie is based on it's a 1965 movie, um, which, you know what, that's three years after Dr. No, um, had debuted. So it's kind of the anti bond. It's much more from what I understand, it's much more, um, sobering or downplayed than, you know, the, uh, the kind of the high flying James Bond films. And yeah, stars um, Michael Caine. It's based on a book by Lynn Dighton um, by the same name. And it, it's a British, you know, it takes place. Um, it's, it, it involves the British Secret Service. It actually involves um, from the production side, some of the same people that are involved with the, the Bond production. So Harry Saltzman is a producer and John Barry did the music. Um, mm. So and it's regarded man, as a classic. You know, this this film is is is. This is, although it's not widely known, obviously, as the Bond films, um, this film in particular is regarded as a classic. And it was a start, I think, of of two other films um, starring this character uh, that Michael Michael Caine plays. So that's number one. Now, the second film that we're recommending you guys check out during this break is Three Days of the Condor. You've seen this, right? You've never Uh, seen Three Days of the Condor. Robert Redford, Faye Dunaway. 
Um, I haven't. I'm really not a Robert Redford guy, and that's part of the problem. But no, I haven't seen that one. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't call myself a Robert Redford guy either. But this movie, I, you know, actually, listen, I just saw this movie like for the first time uh-huh. maybe a year ago. Okay. Um, it was on my list for a long time. This is a 1975 film, so 10 years after um, the Ipcris, Ipcris file, and starring Robert Redford, Faye Dunaway, um, directed by Sidney Pollack. It's mm-hmm. basically, you know, the principle is kind of it's kind of like North by Northwest, but um, from Hitchcock. So in, in the sense of not necessarily mistaken identity, but some other group thinking that, you know, the protagonist is, you know, more maybe more than what he actually is. Um, but Robert Redford does play kind of like a, a number cruncher, um, a desk jockey at the CIA. Um, and he gets involved in some, some shit basically. And then, you know, he has to, he gets forced to go on the run. Um, and it's, just, it's, it's a really, really good film. And actually, like I said, I saw it for the first time a year ago, but immediately after watching it, I said, I got to watch this again. Cause, um, you know, I think it's one of those movies where you watch it multiple times, you get more out of it. So I'm going to be checking that out over the break. Last one, um, last film that we recommend you guys spend some time with other spies with. So last film is um, A Most Wanted Man. And this film came out in, I believe, 2014, 2014. Mm-hmm. This was the last film, actually, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman completed before he before he died. And it's based on a John Le Carre novel um, directed by uh, Antoine Cor- Cor- Corbin. Mm-hmm. So this movie, A Most Wanted Man, it's one of those movies that comes out is very quiet. In other words, it doesn't, you know, it's not a blockbuster film. Um, and then it's like you go and see it. It's like, yo, that's one of the best movies I've seen this year. Uh, mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite spy films. And it's very true to Le Carre's book. Um, and... Philip Seymour Hoffman is his usual, you know, brilliant self in this movie. Um, but it deals with some of the hysteria, if you will, amongst the CIA, the MI6 and other intelligence services following 9-11. Um, I won't say anything else about it other than to say mm-hmm. I'm going to watch it again because I haven't seen it in a while. But I'll tell you, man, it has maybe one of, if not my favorite endings of any spy movie I've ever mm. seen. I mean, All right. just, I, I, I'll tell you that. So that's something to look forward to. So those are three films. Listen, uh, number two, spend some time with other spies. And the films that we're recommending again are The Ipcris File, starring Michael Caine, Three Days of the Condor, starring Robert Redford, Faye Dunaway, and A Most Wanted Man, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman, based on a Carre novel. Number hey, one. Go before ahead, we sorry. get to number one, let me ask you have you ever seen Eye of the Needle? No. Who's in that? So I Have the Needle came out in 1981 and uh, stars Donald Sutherland. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a film uh, directed by uh, Richard Marquand, but uh, it takes place in, uh, it's World War II. Uh, it takes place in Britain and Donald Sutherland uh, plays a Nazi spy uh, who's, who's nicknamed the Needle uh, because of his preferred method of assassination. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could just imagine what that is. Mm-hmm. And um, he's got uh, intelligence um, about the uh, the Allies Army's plans for the invasion of Normandy, and he's trying to get that information um, back into Germany. But he's caught in a storm in Britain, and he takes refuge uh, in a home uh, that's occupied by a woman 
um, who, again, played by Kate Nelligan, uh, who lives with her disabled husband and their son. Mm. And a romance develops between the needle and this woman. Hmm. Um, and uh, he is ultimately discovered, his identity is ultimately uh, uh, called into question by the husband who is infirmed, he's disabled. Mm. Um, and uh, conflict arises from that and uh, it gets into some really interesting um, cat and mouse uh, tied together emotionally between uh, the needle and uh, the wife. Mm. It's, 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 it's really good. Uh, based on a, uh, a novel by Ken Follett. Mm. That is a bonus recommendation to you guys from Arturo. Um, also, I got a bonus. Enemy of the State. We got to get some brothers up on the wall. Um, Enemy of the State. <laughs> Enemy of the State. Will Smith. <laughs> Gene Hackman. Uh, check that one out, too. But, okay. So, yeah, those those are recommendations of uh, spy films that you should spend some time with. So, number one. Our number one recommendation of what you Bondheads can do over the next seven months until No Time to Die drops. Yeah. This actually won't require any money. <laughs> Or any time. In fact, you will gain time. Mm. Forget everything you know about No Time to Die. If you see something on Twitter, just blur past it. Mute it. Mute it. Don't 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 follow any links. Mm. Just no forget everything that you know. Just no no new consumption about any new news anything. Mm. Until that's far. Not be cost. like me. That's be not like cost. me. You're not going to do that. You're not going to be able to do that. <laughs> that's going to cost no money, but it's, that's a tremendous amount of willpower. But that is what we're recommending. Listen, all jokes aside, the reason that we're recommending it is because that's the number one recommendation is because when that marketing starts back up again, um, if you can reboot yourself, you know, if you can come from a fresh perspective, that's going to be really fun, you know, for all for, for as a fan, you know, what I'm saying if you can kind of like turn it off for you know the next you know five six months um yeah. and then you know come the fall come september turn it back on again and then all of a sudden mm -hmm. you get these new trailers new marketing whatever they're going to think of um that we're hoping that they're going to do you know some new marketing techniques maybe a new behind the scenes or you know uh featurette or something that you know if you're coming at it from kind of like a fresh i haven't consumed any of this content for you know uh five or six months that's going to be really good so if you can do it you know i i you know listen i'm not gonna lie <laughs> i'm not sure if i'm gonna be able to do it i'm gonna try to do it um you know for the purposes of the show though you know sometimes we do have to consume things and you know watch things and read things so we can talk to you guys about them um with at least a little a little knowledge um but yeah that's the number one recommendation if you can if you have the willpower and if you have the the capability turn it off you know forget everything you currently know and just kind of like turn it off for a, a few a few months and do look at our list from uh we'll, we'll post it online look at our list from t or on twitter look at our list from uh five through two and do those things and let that be your 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 consumption um for the next several months and then jump back into no time to die this fall and you know we uh we've actually suspended our 007 and counting series um because the the next five episodes of that series 
are the reviews. Well, the next four. Yeah, we got four that review his four films. And then this, the last episode will be kind of a special, you know, something, something, something. But yeah, the next four from Casino Royale, um, Quantum, Solace, uh, Skyfall, Skyfall. Spectre. So and yeah, you know, yeah, those are going to be want to hold those off. And, you know, maybe maybe we'll do because we're talking about Eon, you know, doing something special and coming back with, you know, uh, next level shit. Maybe we need to do something as well. So maybe this fall we'll, we'll 007 and counting will take it up a notch and we can ramp it up uh, together. So that's going to be a full lid. Uh, this episode of Mad Unreal. Um, we want to hear back from you. Uh, reach out to us on Twitter. Hashtag Mad Unreal. Um, let us know what you're going to be doing uh, with this drought. Are you going to go back and just start watching Bond films? Are you going to actually take some of the advice? <laughs> are you going to ignore everything we just said? <laughs> are you going to ignore everything that we said? <laughs> right. um, and let us know. And, uh, you know, this isn't, of course, this isn't the last Mad Unreal that we're going to record before the film drops. Uh, so we will be back. And we're going to have some. Uh, more news well hopefully we'll see how summer is going to shake out if we hear from marvel uh if we hear from dc because they've got wonder woman uh coming up um you know ghostbusters afterlife was going to have a big uh summer showing um there's going to be a lot of news that's going to happen in the unreal world over the next few months yeah this episode was a kind of a bonus you know since um 007 and counting has been um, put on the shelf for half a second. You guys are getting this episode in between two regularly scheduled episodes. So basically the main show moved up on the calendar. So you'll get another main show next week. Um, so yeah, that, I, Isaac that, needed some therapy. I need a minute. I needed a minute. But you guys, yeah, you guys are going to get two main shows back to back. So this week you get this show the next week another episode drops so that's one of the benefits um you know the the good things about this kind of rescheduling and this reshuffling all right keep it unreal peace peace <laughs>